Well, good morning, and it is a delight to look out and see uh, so many of you and to see new faces here. Thank you for joining us in our worship today. We are a congregation, we are a church that loves God's Word. We love the Scriptures, uh, and we make sure that the Scriptures play a central part uh, in our life and in our worship uh, together. And so, I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9, and if you uh, don't have a Bible with you, but have a device of some sort, you could uh, click in ESV Bible, and then Romans chapter 9, find your way there, uh, and that will get you to where we're going to be today. Once again, <clears throat> excuse me, like I said last week, our study of God's Word is going to take us to a few different Scripture readings uh, from the book of Romans. So once you're there, you're going to want to keep your Bibles open and be following along as we hear from God and His Word today. So Romans chapter 9, beginning in verse 1 down through verse 3, and then I'm going to skip over to chapter 10. Romans 9 and verse 1 the Apostle Paul, uh, the first great missionary of the Christian church, uh, writes these words, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. And now chapter 10 and verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him of, in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the Gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what He has heard from us, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the Word of Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, thank You for bringing us together. Thank You for giving us Your Word that we can open up together so that we can together, uh, as a congregation, as a church family with friends, we can together hear from You. And Father, as we begin, uh, our hearts once again go to parts of the world that are uh, experiencing great suffering and great heartache. Again, we think of Haiti this week and today as again it has been devastated by an earthquake and uh, the loss of life and uh, the just the destruction and the ruin, Father, is, is beyond words. Oh, that Your mercy would be poured out uh, 
upon the people there. And Father, for those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, that You would protect, that You would provide, that Father, You would show grace, that there would be a a miracle of of, um, ongoing uh, hope that is in their hearts by Your Spirit and by Your Word. And Father, even today as brothers and sisters are gathered on this Lord's Day, this Sunday, may, may they hear from You. Uh, and may their hearts be encouraged. And may that be true here, Lord. May we hear from You that we might hear the truth, yes, even the hard truth that we will be looking at today. May we hear from You. Give us ears to hear. And give us hearts to respond, O oh Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, last week, as we had the privilege as a church of sending out one of our couples, Pat and Lynn Paris, into mission work for this next year, it seemed, it seemed fitting uh, that we take two or three weeks to talk about mission work and the global mission of the church. We're calling this uh, three-week uh, series, Global Missions, What's in Your Future? What's in your future? When it comes to global gospel mission, we must be informed, we must be inspired, we must be invested. And we saw last week how we must be informed. Paul, in the book of Romans, is very careful to inform us about two things. He informs us first about God's end, His goal, what God is after in this world. His goal, His end, is to reach the nations with the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants there to be from every ethnicity, from every people group, from every language on earth. He wants there to be those who have heard and received and believed and been saved by the name of Jesus. That is His end and that is His goal. Now what is His means to that end? How is he going to accomplish that? Well, that's what Romans 10, which has just been read in your hearing, what Romans 10 is about. The salvation of the nations depends on their calling upon the name of the Lord, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The salvation of the nations depends on their calling upon the name of the Lord. But their calling upon the name of the Lord depends upon their believing in the name of the Lord. And their believing in the name of the Lord depends upon them hearing the name of the Lord. And the hearing of the name of the Lord depends on someone preaching the name of the Lord. And somebody preaching the name of the Lord depends on someone going to preach the name of the Lord. And somebody going to preach the name of the Lord depends on someone sending them to proclaim the name of the Lord. That is Romans chapter 10 and the first 10 to 15 verses in summary. There's there's something of a six-link golden chain 
of gospel mission for the church. Salvation depends on calling. Calling depends on believing. Believing depends on hearing. Hearing depends on preaching. Preaching depends on going. And going depends on sending. That is God's plan. And my friends, there is no plan B. That is God's plan. That is how He is going to accomplish His great salvation purposes in this world. God is in the business. And what an important, wonderful word this is for all of us. God is in the business of saving human beings from themselves and from their sins. God is in the business of saving us, of rescuing us. But He is accomplishing that through us. Now, now if you sit here and you hear that, and it just makes you yawn, and you think, you know, well, what's the big deal? I've, I've got a lot to do this coming week. I've, I've got bills to pay, and I've got TV to watch, and I've got to go to the gym, and I've got to watch my diet, and I've got to hit the beach. And, and yeah, well, maybe, maybe I'll get around to this mission thing and this gospel thing. Uh, if that's what's going on in you right now, then you're not getting it. If that's what's going on in you right now, you need to be inspired to understand what's really at stake in all of this. This whole gospel mission thing may leave you with nothing but a big yawn, but my brothers, my sisters, my friends, we need to be stirred up. We need to be jump-started. We need to be ignited. And I believe Paul does that here in the book of Romans by letting us know how God views the world. Okay? We have our view of the world, right? We watch the news, we read the papers or whatever, and we have a view of the world. But how does God view the world? How does God look down on planet Earth? Let's think about this today because it is what will ignite us and inspire us for mission work. And I need to forewarn you, I need to let you know that there's going to be hard truth in the message today. This, this, this will not, um, this won't have a lot of likes clicked to it. I am afraid that God's Word at this point is sobering. It is serious. If we, if we refuse to dilute it and water it down and just look at it for what it is, it, it, it will hit us hard. And yet, we must see what God says. So will you follow with me? Alright, and here's, here's where we're going. How does God view the world? in which we live and of which we are a part. Uh, he sees the world as being in rebellion, under wrath, without excuse, and needing Christ. That's how God views the world. In rebellion, under wrath, without excuse, and needing Christ. In order to see this, I want to invite you to go back in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And oh Lord, help us to have open eyes and open hearts here today. 
Romans 1 and verse 16. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the Gospel. How many say amen to that? I am not ashamed of the Gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse." For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, for they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness. See if you see yourself in here anywhere. Okay? Filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. As you look in that mirror, do you see yourself anywhere? I see myself everywhere in that mirror. Paul cites this long list of all kinds of sins as proof of our rebellion against God our Creator. You see, human rebellion, and and too often we get this wrong, human rebellion is not about any one or two sins that we might see as really sinful sins. It's about the whole trajectory and direction of our existence. People make a couple mistakes when they come to this passage of Scripture. One mistake is they respond to it with an attitude that says, yeah, they really are messed up out there. 
What a bunch of sinners. The world is rotten to the core as if we are not rotten to the core. As if we are not on the same page and in the same condition born in sin ourselves. And the other mistake is to single out any one or two of these sins as the really bad sins. And those who commit those sins are the really bad people. No, the point of this text my friends, is that all of us are really bad. The point of this text is that we are all messed up and we are all in. We are born in rebellion against God. These are things, Paul writes, these are things that we know are wrong to do, but we insist on doing them anyways. And not only do we do them, Paul says we are inventors of evil. That phrase just grips me and humbles me and scares me that the, the human heart is, is not content with simple, ordinary, run-of-the-mill sin. The human heart is a sin factory. The human heart figures out new ways to sin all the time. We are inventors of evil. And it's not the people outside the door alone who are that way. It is all of us apart from the grace of God. Leave Tim Shorey to himself. Take God's grace out of my life. And I am doing all of these things. I am doing them all. Apart from the grace of of God and the restraint of God on my heart that is bent towards sin just like everybody else's is. This is hard truth. But if we don't get this right, we're not going to realize our need for a Savior. And we're not going to realize how important it is to proclaim salvation in our generation. What is clear from this text is that the world in which we live and of which we are a part is in rebellion. Look back again at chapter 1, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Friends, Paul is describing open, hostile, cosmic rebellion against God. He is saying, God has made us and He has made us so that we would know Him and thank Him and love Him and admire Him and glorify Him. But instead of the glory of the immortal God, we've exchanged that for everything else. We have replaced the One who made us with all kinds of things that He has made. We have replaced the giver with the gifts. We have chosen stuff and sin over the Lord God Almighty. And Paul says that's rebellion. I wonder if we really are in touch with how much people don't like this God. 
I wonder what you've thought in the last 15 minutes or so. I wonder what you thought as, as I read Romans 1. What went on inside of you? What kind of reaction was there? Was there, Tim, stop it. I don't want to hear that. Move on to something nice. Say warm things about God. Was there a resistance? Was there a reaction? If you are a Christian here and you've ever tried to talk to people about God, you will have noticed, I am sure, that there are some things you can talk about and they'll listen to you all day long. You can talk about the love of God and the kindness of God and the gentleness of God and the grace of God and the fatherhood of God. And they will, they will lean in but as soon as you start talking about the holiness of God and the justice of God and the wrath of God, they will shut you down. Why? Because the human heart is in rebellion against the true God Himself. We do not want to be told how to live. We do not want to be told that we are not God. There is someone else who is. I could stand up here and talk for five hours about vague spirituality. And I could talk about vague feelings of any kind of new age or other things and people would soak it in but if we talk about the wrath and the judgment of God, people shut it down. Now, Paul is not exaggerating here. This is the reality of the human heart. This is the way we are. We are in rebellion. And because of that, we are under wrath. Look at verse 18 again. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The wrath of God is revealed. Actually, in the language that Paul wrote in, in the Greek language, it's in the present tense, meaning that it is being revealed. God's wrath is on the way. God's wrath is coming in our direction because of our rebellion. And so we read over in chapter 2, when He comes in His wrath, He will render to each one according to His works. God is going to judge us according to our works. Wrath is coming. Judgment is coming. Our works are going to be judged. Now, hear it. We are going to be judged according to our works. What does that mean? Well, what that means is that we are going to be judged objectively. God is not just going to subjectively, emotionally you know, jump on us and smash us down. Now, it is according to our works, so there is a standard that He is going to use. God is not, God is going to be fair because it's going to be judgment according to our works, and it's going to be proportionate because it's going to be according to our works. Not everybody's going to be the, judged in the same way. 
You see, many people, when they think about the wrath and the judgment of God, they, they tend to think, well, God might not be just, or He may be cruel, or He may be too angry. Friends, friends, put that fear out of your mind. You never have to fear that God is going to be unfair or unjust or that He's going to punish you more harshly than you deserve. Put that fear to rest. Never have to worry about that fear. There is a fear that you have to worry about, and that is that He judges you fairly. That He judges you according to your works. That should scare you. That scares me. The idea that God would judge me according to what I have thought and said and done in this life. I'm not afraid of God being unfair. I'm afraid of God being fair. I'm afraid of getting what I deserve. So if if you've ever thought otherwise, please correct your thinking here. The Bible does not say God is going to judge everybody unfairly or unjustly. No, everybody's going to get exactly what they deserve, unless, of course, they get better than they deserve, which is where Jesus comes into the picture. But uh, without Jesus, you're just going to get what you deserve. Now, the question you need to ask if you're not a believer here, uh, and whoever is listening or watching who is not a believer, the, the question is, are you willing to run that risk? Are you willing to say, you know what, I'm going to stand on my own two feet before an infinitely, perfectly holy God and judge who knows everything I've ever thought or said or done in my life. Are you sure you want to stand on those feet? You and I, by nature, are in rebellion against God. And you and I, by nature, because of that rebellion, are under the wrath of God. And you and I, because of that rebellion, are under the wrath of God without excuse. Without excuse. Did you notice that in chapter 1? Verse 19, what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. And then you go down uh, to chapter 2. In verse 15, talking about uh, Gentiles or, or people who were non-Jews who had never heard the, the law of God or the Word of God. Verse 15, chapter 2, they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my Gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. What, what is Romans 1 and Romans 2 tell? us. It's telling us that God, through creation and through conscience, God has spoken to everybody. God has proven His existence through creation. If you've ever had a moment in your life when you've looked at a baby or you've studied the human eye or you've seen the sunset or you've marveled over the pictures coming back of the cosmos and you've ever had a moment where you thought, you know, 
there must be a God somewhere. If you've ever had that moment, if you've ever had that moment, it's because God was talking to you right then. God was declaring His existence, declaring His power and His glory through the things that have been made. And if you suppress that moment and said, I don't want to think about it, then you're without excuse. Or if you've ever had a moment where in your conscience you were about to say something or do something, and in your conscience you said, I shouldn't say this. I shouldn't do this. But, you need to understand that the first half of that was the Holy Spirit working on your conscience, telling you what's right and what's wrong. And when you went to the second half of that, but... You were suppressing the truth of God's work in your mind and in your heart. Every human being on the planet has heard about God, has, knows the truth about God, even if they've never had a Bible in their hand or heard a sermon. Every day is a sermon in God's world. The heavens declare the glory of God and, uh, and the firmament His handiwork. God's attributes are clearly seen in all that He has made so that we are without excuse. If you've ever wondered what happens to people who have never heard of Jesus, you need to understand there are no such people. There are no such people. Everyone everywhere on the planet has heard about the living God and has seen His existence in the things that He has made so that they are without excuse. Now let me make it clear. The more we have seen and the more we have heard, the more accountable we become. God will judge each according to His or her works. Oh, my friends, this is sobering truth. God views the world as being in rebellion and under wrath and without excuse and needing Christ. And needing Christ. Go to chapter 5. You see, all that, all that bad news, all that hard news, all that frightening news is the necessary backdrop for the good news. With, without everything that we have said and heard to this point, the good news will make no sense to you. Jesus will make no sense to you. The bad news makes sense out of the good news. Romans chapter 5 Hear this, beginning in verse 8, or verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, in other words, while we were still in Romans chapter 1, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
in our place, in our stead, bearing the wrath, bearing the judgment that we deserved. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. There's the good news. There's the glory of the Gospel right there. That'll make no sense to you if you're not willing to look in the mirror of Romans chapter 1. Look in the mirror of Romans chapter 1. See yourself there in all your sin, in all your guilt. See yourself as under the wrath of God without excuse. Look at that long enough to know that you need a Savior. You need a Redeemer. You need an atonement for all of that sin. You need somebody whose blood can wash away all of that sin. You need Jesus. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day of my life. Could I go on sinning every day of my life? I need to know that there is one who loved me even while I was still in Romans chapter 1. And there is one who has loved me so much that He gave Himself as a sin sacrifice and atonement for, for me. For me. And for you. If you will, but repent of Romans 1. And believe Romans 5. Repent Romans 1. Believe Romans 5. And you know what happens? You get to Romans 8. Where you find out that no longer, no longer are we the objects of His wrath, but we are loved by God in such a way that nothing can separate us from His love. You see, Christianity has a hard message. We have to face the reality of our sin. If you're not willing to do that, then you're going to need some other, you're going to need to go somewhere else. Christianity has a hard message. We need to face the reality of our sin. But it is not self-righteous. It is not condemning. It is full of hope. It is full of love. It says, yes, this is our condition, but this is our Savior. This is our guilt and what we deserve. But Jesus has come and taken what He did not deserve so that we could receive what we do not deserve. This is the Gospel. And if you came in here today and weren't sure where you stood and why you were even coming and what you need, this is what you need. This is what you need. You need Jesus. I need Jesus. Everybody in this room was born in the same condition and apart from the grace of God would be in the same condition. But God demonstrated His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And friends, if you've never believed, now is the day of salvation and whoever Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, if you have believed, this is why we must be on mission in this fallen world.
because we live among seven plus billion people who were born under the wrath of God, who live deserving the wrath of God, who need instead the mercy of God, which can only be found in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, will we be on mission this week? This week. This is what inspires it. The bad news and the good news. Romans 1 and Romans 5 should lead to Romans 10. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to the world. Let's pray. Oh Lord, may this be a day of salvation for people here, people watching online. May this be a day of salvation and not just in and through Risen Hope Church, but Father, wherever Your glorious Gospel is proclaimed. That Gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. Oh, may that salvation and power touch today, touch thousands upon thousands upon thousands of lives, bringing them to faith in Jesus. And Father, I can think of no better way to enter into a brief communion meal than by thinking of what we have thought about here today. We were in rebellion, under wrath, without excuse. But You so loved us that You gave Your Son to die for us. And in communion, in communion, in the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death for us until He comes. And so, Father, would You please bless these simple elements of this very simple meal. In Jesus' name, Amen. Jesus doesn't want us to ever forget what He has done for us. So the night He was betrayed, just before He died for our sins, He was eating a meal with His disciples and He said, he took a piece of bread and he broke it and he said, I want you to eat this in remembrance of me. I, and in eating this bread, you are symbolically and spiritually being nourished by my blood that was, and my body that was given for you. And in drinking the cup, you are symbolically and spiritually being nourished in the reminder that my blood was poured out for you. And he said, I want you to do this often. Because as often as you do it, you proclaim the Gospel. If you are a believer who is a follower of Christ, if you have been baptized as a believer in Christ and are part of a Gospel-preaching church, uh, you are welcome to partake 
of this with us. If not, we encourage you to make sure that before you leave, you talk with one of us so that we can guide you into faith in Christ and a new life of faith can begin for you today. Jesus took the bread and he blessed it. Lord, God of heaven, bless, bless this bread to the nourishment of our souls. Let's eat together. Jesus then took the cup and he gave thanks for it and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink this in remembrance of me, he says. So let's remember Jesus. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Creator God, You who made all things. You who have made each and every one of us. We are sorry that we have sinned against You. We grieve our many sins. Our open rebellion and often hostility against you. We ask for your mercy. And may that mercy go with us each day of this coming week, wherever we are, whenever we sin. May we run back to the cross and find grace there. Heavenly Father, may your love be upon us. Lord Jesus, may your grace fill us. Holy Spirit, may your comfort meet us in all our sorrows and struggles. Until, Lord, you cause us to meet again in this place. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, thank you for coming today. May God be with you and bless you. Linger, fellowship. And if you see people who are clearly feeling more comfortable with a mask on, make sure to put one on to honor them and care for them. If you have one with you, let's uh, care for each other as best we can in that way. Uh, and enjoy the outside. There's lots of beautiful space out there for fellowship as well. God bless you. God be with you. Amen.